welcome to 3D Talk. This is the third 3D Talk at TCT show. I'm very happy to have Women in 3D Printing and Cyan Hart here with us today. Uh, we have a panel of speakers with us focusing on additive manufacturing software today. So for those of you who don't know, 3D Talk is an event series created by Nora Teray from Women in 3D Printing and Barbara Hanna, founder and CEO of Cyan. The series brings together a panel of female leaders, founders, and researchers from the 3D printing industry to share their insights and experience on 3D printing and related industries. In previous 3D talk at TCT, we've looked at materials for additive manufacturing, smart factories, and this year, as I said, we're focusing on the software side. So I'm joined today by Kadeen James, creative tech lead at Hobbs 3D and the UK ambassador for women in 3D printing. Could you just tell us a little bit about women in 3D printing? So, good morning, everyone. Um, I am the UK lead for Women in 3D Printing. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Women in 3D Printing is a worldwide platform. We're in 30 countries all over the world. We seek to amplify, support, encourage more women, more girls into additive manufacturing industries. Um, I'm delighted to be here today uh, with such uh, formidable uh, ladies that are working uh, within our industry and very much looking forward to the insights today from our panel. And just a little introduction as well to Science, that's the partner company that um, co-organized um, 3D Talk panel sessions. Um, so Science is on a mission to connect art and technology to foster learning, creativity, and engagement. Science believes in the interplay between art, science, technology, and offers innovative art meets tech tools and experiences bridging digital and physical. Its goal is to enable a large and diverse community of scientists from all genders, ages, and backgrounds to learn, connect, create, and make new things in new ways. So first of all, we're just going to introduce each of our speakers. So uh, Liva, if you want to first introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm uh, Liva Buikens from Materialize. So I've been active there for 23 years. So that's 23 years in this uh, fantastic uh, industry. Uh, so I've done different kinds of jobs there in medical industrial software, both on product management and sales and marketing. And next we have Janet Carr. Hi, my name is Janet. Thank you so much for hosting today. Um, as part of Link3D, we help organizations build the foundation for their industrial 3D printing workflows and help them scale so they can really take advantage of the benefits of what additive manufacturing has to offer today. Um, so thank you. <laughs> yeah. And finally, Marie. Yeah. yeah, hi, I'm Marie Thibault. I'm working in Spearman from France. Actually, I'm part of the Women in 3D Printing in Paris. So yeah, it's a big community. <laughs> And uh, in 309, we are like managing all the, um, the workflows with additive manufacturing. So from part identification until uh, production management. So should we jump into the questions? Kadeen, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm going to ask the first question to Marie. So let's start where it all started, Marie. What was your first experience of 3D printing? And how has it evolved in your eyes? So my Back to 2013, I was working in a Safran Aircraft Engine, I think you, you know this company, and I was working like a material engineer. And at this time, Safran was investing a lot in new metal 3D printers, and it was kept like a little secret in the factory, and I had the chance to see it, so it was amazing at this time. And uh, later on, I worked like um, in a metal foundry in aluminum, so we were doing some uh, aluminum parts for automotive sectors. And you, I deal a lot with uh, some delivery of the, the mold. We have some problem to receive the prototype. And you can see all the, the, the magical things about uh, additive manufacturing and how it can be involved in, on, in uh, this kind of industry. So that's why I'm here today. Okay. And Liva, what about you? Um, 
so well, I actually grew up with this industry. So I said I started 23 years ago at Materialize, and that was my first encounter then immediately with 3D printing. And then at that start, it was really all about making it, making it work. Eh? When I started at the company, the software was on dozen units still. Um, so it was all on making it work, getting that data on the machine, and then crossing your fingers that the build was going to be successful. Of course, uh, as things start maturing, and we are so in love with that technology as a company, we also started looking at applications that make it worthwhile. Yeah? So what are good applications that can also drive this industry further? So we had like partnerships with Phonak on the designing of, of hearing aids. But we also started some uh, own production lines on uh, medical guides, for instance. So that's really like mass customization production. And then, of course, you go to that next step. And that's where we are uh, all in investing in, in today. It's like it's not only about making it worthwhile, but if we want AM eh, to be one of the tools in a workshop, we also need to make it efficient, mm -hmm. yeah? It needs to be affordable, so we need to see how can we drive down that price, and that's where we are focusing on, uh, on now. So, yeah, it's nice to see over all these years the, the evolution and the expansion and all the things that's happening there. Mm -hmm. um, and I myself, actually, I started in a very non-traditional environment. Um, I was actually in the textile manufacturing space, and there we did um, different types of printing, more like 2D printing, like flexo, screen printing, and hot stamping. But the challenge with hot stamping was, you know, to get your stamps, it takes like about a couple business days. And sometimes you want to have quick turnaround time because your customers really want it fast. So it's really interesting because we were, at the time, I think it was like 10 years ago, and we were looking at potential solutions for uh, making it faster, and we fell upon 3D printing. Although at the time, you know, being the company we were, we were a bit like on the cheap side, so we bought like a small FDM printer, tested it out, but it wasn't necessarily the best solution. It wasn't like the right material because it doesn't transfer uh, the heat and the edges might break over time, and so it wasn't the best solution. But, you know, fast forward today, there's so many solutions out there. A lot more materials, performant materials, a lot more machines uh, in polymer and metals and ceramics. All, all, we can see it here today, right? And it's been fascinating to see how the industry has developed and how machines are moving faster and um, seeing how we can all work together to help, I guess in today's theme, enable that through digital software uh, so that companies can really take advantage of the true benefits of additive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Okay, so now we're all working at the intersection of software and 3D printing. What is your overarching vision for what this intersection can and will achieve? What are some of the achievements you've already seen and some of the challenges that are still ahead for us? Anyone want to take that first? Yeah. So I already uh, mentioned earlier on the cost efficiency. Uh, and there we are already taking uh, steps. Uh, on one hand, the way how you can achieve that is via automation. So you can go in... Uh, automating part of the processes like nesting, supporting, and etc. On the other hand, a way to be cost efficient is also preventing uh, or reducing your scrap rate, mm -hmm. where simulation then can help again. That's all more in the data prep, and where I 
really believe that we need more focus into the future is how can we make the machines more efficient. Eh? In these applications that we have as well, for instance, we also print like for three years insoles. Um, and there we've seen by changing the uh, scan and hatch strategy, and we also modified then that machine with our MCP platform, we could just double the capacity of that machine. So the machine is building twice as fast, but still delivering the same quality. And that is by also looking into the design on what you put on the machine, so it's not only on the 3D models and everything, but it's also taking it a level deeper on that slice level, and how can you, with the same machine, but by a more intelligent steering, increase that capacity while still having that same quality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to add to that, you know, Materialize has an amazing slew of solutions that have really helped the industry move forward. Uh, what's really interesting that we've seen in other uh, traditional manufacturing uh, operations that are now being transcended to additive manufacturing is workflows that are designed for our industry. And, um, you know, we have Streamix here, 3 r Mind, Link3D, and what we're trying to do is try to bridge the gap between print-ready files and then printing and logistics and finally receiving in your hands. What we've seen uh, the evolution go is that there's this maturity model uh, as you are entering your added manufacturing journey. Um, and the first part of software experience we see folks do is, you know, in using emails and tools like Trello and SharePoint to really try to streamline that operation. And by uh, having solutions that could help bridge these day-to-day -day, uh, administrative tasks with tools like you know, a simple order entry form that can now pull into like a, a coding solution for additive really helps save a lot of application engineering time. Because you have so many brilliant minds that are now spending time doing an Excel sheet calculation. You know, they might put the technology in a build prep software to figure out the build time and uh, material usage and time, but then they need to manually enter this in a form, and that's a waste of human resources. So it's wonderful to see how technology has grown at this speed, where we can help now save time so that folks that are focused on developing innovative tools can now do that. And that transcends not only for the ordering side, but all the other operational sides, such as production planning, scheduling. And what's really interesting over the last uh, three, four months is machine manufacturers have begun opening up their machine connectivity which means that there's going to be, in the next six months to a year, a lot of innovations, you know, with monitoring your shop floor, without having to walk through it, to uh, doing in-situation monitoring for quality purposes. And uh, those are really exciting things that we look forward to, to enable the industry to grow. Yeah, okay, maybe just to what Janet was mentioning is the machine connectivity, as it might be one of the key points between uh, 3D printing and software, is how you automate all your shop floor, how you connect all your machine with one standardized software. So I think it's one of the key points. Maybe the second one is how the connection the, between the 3D printing and the human and the engineer application engineers that is working every day in, um, in the shop floor. 
So our goal as a software company, I think, is also to help yeah. this company to design the, the, the good software, sorry, the good design the good parts, create uh, the good parameters, create the quality control. So how you can help, like a software company, how you can help an uh, application engineer to achieve its goal? So we are trying to do that with uh, one of our soft module software, which is part identification. So it's a, it's a software where you can collect all the information you need to take the right decision. It's a technical information. It's economical information. You all analyze this information on the part, and you are able to take the right decision. So it means the right technology, if the part is suitable for AM or not, if it's a good use cases. So you can bring all the good information, the relevant information together. So yeah, maybe yeah. like maybe to summarize, it's the machine and 3D printers, and yeah. the other one is 3D printing and how you help application engineers to work in this uh, in this field. Yeah, I agree with that definitely. <laughs> so Leif, I've got a question for you, and that is your building infrastructure and logistic systems that are connected to AM machines and services that are on a global scale. Can you share some insights into building such infrastructures? and the end-to-end -end AM software pipelines and workflows that you're focused on at Materialize. Yeah. So uh, it's what both Janet and, and Marie already said. Eh? So the key here is indeed to look at an open, uh, open process model because we can no longer look at AM as a single isolated hub. So that openness and that connectivity is, is really key and as Janet said, eh, there is that change in mind in the partners as well. You cannot do this alone, and it's on one hand connecting uh, with, uh, with the machines, uh, and we are ready for that. On the other hand as well, it's also because AM will become a tool next to the other tools in that, you also need to have the openness and the partnerships with companies like uh, Siemens and SAP and etc. because in the end it's like that full uh, mess landscape and everything where you need to comply with. Yeah. Yeah. Janet, do you want to go? Yeah, okay. I can go. Okay. So yeah, maybe I completely agree with what uh, Wesley was saying. I think AM is quite complex environment. It's a really a different uh, hardware system. We have different materials. We have different technology. So to build like hand-to-hand uh, -end workflows that is relevant, I think we need to um, to take to have like the code structure which is modular that you can adapt quickly, so you can develop new features really quickly, you can adapt to your customer needs. And the other thing is all about the standards, how you will create a standard software or a standard tool that, uh, that can manage uh, different machine, different workflows. So for example, we were talking a lot with machine connectivity, but now we have some standards like Umati, maybe, you know, based on the UPC UA. It's a standard that where we can uh, exchange data from like a system uh, software or from machine. So this kind of uh, standard will help us also to build this end-to-end -end workflow in a, in a positive way. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, having too much standards isn't always good because every business is very different. Uh, they have their unique processes, although we all agree, any business you're going to have order entry, you're going to cost budget, price, and you're going to produce, and you're going to handle the post-processing downstream steps, but, you know, every business has its unique intellectual process, you know, something that makes them a little different so that they can really compete in the market. 
So uh, we believe at Link3D is that, sure, you'll have your general standard system, but you need to have the ability to configure your solution to really adapt to how you do business. Um, that way, as you, as you understand how, what makes you different, you could have a system that adapts with you. And I think to add to what uh, you mentioned, uh, openness, right? So it's not only openness on like the ERP, MES system, CRM system to understand your revenue uh, or data lakes that can pull all the data, but it's also connectivity with maybe partners like CAD system, PLM systems, potentially what can we do with topology optimization software beyond machine connectivity or uh, what have you, right? Uh, in the future, a lot of organizations are even moving towards you know, modular systems that have robotic arms that will automate the entire production floor that we've seen in like CNC and like other types of manufacturing floors. So, so we believe that, you know, standard is good, but it needs a little bit of flexibility so that you could have a system that evolves with you over time. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, quality assurance and, and data management. Um, so what kind of processes have you been building or needing to put in place from a quality assurance and data management perspective? And can you also speak about um, the approach to any algorithm design and validation if needed or had to work with to put in place? Yeah, okay, so it's a really, really large topic, so quality, <laughs> <laughs> it's everywhere in, the, in your workflows, actually, in 3D printing. It's, uh, quality means uh, to ensure that the file is good, that the, the, the right material is qualified, is good for the production, the machine is qualified also. So maybe just to make, to be a bit more focused uh, in the software and how we can help like uh, as a software to ensure the quality, they are like, one is the material tracking, to be sure that the material and the batch and the percentage of powder is uh, tracked and is used and is tracked in a, in a system. Uh, the, other, uh, the other thing is to ensure that the quality of the file, to ensure that the file that, we are, that is ready to print is good for printing, actually. And uh, yeah, and also about quality, we talk a lot about the standards, but yesterday I, I have this example of, a, of a, a company told me we develop uh, new materials and we, uh, we already qualified this material for one printers and the, the manufacturer of the printers decided to upgrade the machine. So he has to requalify all the new materials. So I think it's a work that is ongoing, but it has, it's all about the, how you qualify, qualify the material, your process in the right way to be able to be efficient because all uh, additive, additive manufacturing is about quality, cost, and also time to be really flexible. Agreed. Yeah, that's a really important topic. And especially when organizations at the forefront are like aerospace or automotive industry, where they have to follow AS9100 standards, ISO, SAE, what have you. And on top of that, if you're a contract manufacturer, have to abide by the quality standards of the OEM you're trying to support. Um, how do you do that, right? Uh, how do you uh, prove that uh, whatever production or material parameters uh, that come in are done properly, whatever post-processing, finishing, and quality control steps are done. Uh, what's really interesting is, you know, uh, workflow automation software system can, in fact, uh, log and do an audit trail, which is the beauty of digital manufacturing. But, uh, but the challenge is, it can still be tampered with, right? Um, you can still hide your steps. So it's like, how can we play our role and responsibility in making sure that uh, whatever is said is done and that this can be proven. 
Um, so that'll be interesting. And the second point is, um, if you do have quality standards that you need to abide by, is it possible uh, to develop your quality control profile and then make sure that as you are conducting your production, uh, completing the post-production uh, downstream manufacturing steps, uh, can the system automatically validate whether or not these are passing or failing within tolerance? If not, what are the risk factors so that uh, folks on the shop floor can immediately you know, answer to challenges in advance before the entire batch is over, uh, in addition to qualifying materials and machines? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, uh, it's indeed a wide topic, and as, as Janet said, uh, your, your quality is driven by the qualification bodies that you need to adhere to, depending on the application that you have. And let me just illustrate that with some example. As you know, on one hand, we are a software company. On the other hand, we also do quite a lot of production. And I've mentioned that medical application before, so we're already uh, producing for 12 years surgical knee guides. So that's a medical device. So you need to adhere to the rules of, FT, of FDA and 510Ks, and these are very, very strict rules. So what does that mean in, in, in practice? Your system, you need to, uh, the first stage is you need to maintain for 20 years your design history file. So that's everything that needs to, do, that has to do with your needs, user needs, your input, your design output, it's the uh, validation, the verification. So that whole process, you need to store it for 20 years and you need to have that trace of it, mm -hmm. yeah? But then the second stage, when, when you have done that full process or your NPI process, the second stage is then that production. So there, you need to have like your uh, design history record for every patient case uh, that you do. So that is there, it's that end-to-end -end flow, so you need to keep track of uh, all the approval signatures because it goes on one hand planning from surgeons and etc. so you need all the approvals, uh, the timestamps when it has been done, all the file modifications, you need to have that full traceability of actions. Um, it's then also, the, uh, you need to have the powder tracking because with additive, what's very specific is your material in the end is being produced while you're making the part, you're also making the material. So that powder tracking, it's very important, yeah? So it's all these different steps, the, it's the, the traceability, the logging and etc. So it's quite a lot of regulations that you need to follow. It's quite a lot of reporting that goes in hand with it. So we have set up that full system from the start, from that approval of the surgeon and the patient data, till in the end also the quality assessment of the parts. And then because you need that report, also that report that is being automated because otherwise you have like a huge overhead that's not cost efficient anymore. So our streaming system was really crucial in that to set up this uh, production line over 12 years. Eh? Another example, also like aerospace, is very demanding because we work on that system of Streamix. Eh? Materialize was the first subcontractor in AM to, uh, or to be the first subcontractor in AM for Airbus for the 350 wide body. So it's like having these systems um, 
eating your own dog food in a way and seeing all the things that you have to comply with really helps us driving these developments forward. Mm -hmm. Janet, Lever mentioned materials then. Is that something that Link3D are focusing on at the moment? Yeah, definitely. So all the information related to materials incoming, the specs and the analysis related to that, along with the consumables mm -hmm. that are involved with reduction, that's extremely important, right? Because to add to this, there's so much to add. Um, <laughs> we can probably talk about this all day. But, uh, you know, the machine, beyond the materials, the machine also has its own life. The post-processing equipment, uh, you know, finishing equipment as well, and quality control equipment. And um, are you making sure that they're always dialed right, you know, uh, as it relates to the usage, uh, their own spare parts, lifetime? So what's really interesting as well with, you know, workflow software is, you know, the, the potential for, or already existing, predictive maintenance capabilities, um, and potentially introducing algorithms to identify, oh, it seems like there's a pattern with this material composition, and normally it evolves and results in this problem based off of these production parameters, you know? That is something that, uh, that I, we see in other manufacturing environments that will most likely become a norm in added manufacturing in the future. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know about you guys, but pers ladies, uh, personally think that a lot of companies might not be ready for a full-blown solution like this today. You know, if you're in prototyping, you just need an order entry system that can handle the mass orders. But if you're in um, tools, metal tools specifically, or serious production, then being able to follow all this quality data can be very important. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so it's it's really interesting to see the differences there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, maybe just had like, we yeah. see a lot the difference between the prototyping and the serial mass production that we see some companies that start to do mass production. And it's true that the, like we talk about the quality, but the quality requirements are not exactly the same focus when you are doing a prototype, one single part, and when you are doing like 10,000 parts in a week. So you also as a software need to adapt to this and be able to reply to answer to this uh, use case and the other use case, so. And that's why you make it modular. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what's been your approach in terms of overall and end-to-end -end system evaluation and validation? And what might be some lessons that you've learned that you could share with everybody today, including KPIs, productivity, and costings? Okay. <laughs> Big question also. Okay. So um, first, how to evaluate or how to be sure our software is uh, answer to the customer or to the demand. I would like to say that we use, and I think all the company we use, to work really closely to our customer, and we have regular feedback from them, and we are building our software based on, on their need and their feedback. It's, it's uh, like an environment that is growing really fast and that is changing a lot, so we need to close really cl work sorry, really closely to our customer to be able to, to have a, a good software. And uh, so this is maybe the overall, and after, if you go more deep in the, in the software, we have some KPI, we have some, uh, some information on your production that uh, allow you, or allow the, the customer, the user, to, to, know, uh, to know, for example, how many orders were placed, how many quality, the quality of the parts. So we have this KPI, we really focus on the production management, as we used to have in the conventional uh, sectors. But if we go in the more overall sectors, I think the idea is to work in a really like in loop with your customer and be sure that we are on the same page. 
So yeah, it's indeed all about uh, data-driven continuous improvement processes. So and that co can go on one hand on the logistical chain and on the order management, planning, uh, machine maintenance. But you can also take that data to start digging deeper and seeing like where can I get more improvements like that example of that insoles that I gave earlier like that you can double the capacity by making improvements there. And then it's, it's, it's the key, eh? we all have these databases with a lot of data in there and that is really yeah, a necessity to do then your continuous improvement like the data and the insight that you get in the data will steer you further and of course then also our customers in their uh, production environments. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question, right? It depends on who you're talking to. Uh, I think we focus a lot on, you know, the folks that are managing the shop floor, but uh, additive manufacturing, there's so many versions of it, right? You've got uh, organizations that silo, organizations that have other manufacturing platforms, organizations that have many facilities or are outsourcing to multiple suppliers. So at every stage of, you know, who we're talking to, if it's a C-level exec, they want to see KPIs related to how is the health of additive manufacturing initiatives are going? Are they profitable? Uh, so having costing tools that can calculate your net profits is great, um, and activity-based costing. Or um, where's the demand coming from, you know? Is it more in the medical field, automotive, what have you? Are they focused on design testing, tooling, or serious production and then this helps organizations look at a higher level you know how do I want to strategize and build my additive manufacturing production floor what were my original thoughts and where and what is the reality and where should we go tomorrow and so by having a system it's a lot easier for organizations to adjust to become more agile as they develop their programs to execute but on the mid-management level they've got a challenging They've got challenges because they are basically needing to answer to the C-level execs that say, hey, what's going on with our million dollar investment? And then you've got folks that are on the shop floor that are handling the production and they're saying, I don't have enough time to do everything. It's really difficult for me to uh, um, scale up this production. Last year was this much and now it's 10x. How do I do it? And so on the middle management side, you know, how do you uh, up manage and how you uh, down manage as well so that you can make sure that everyone is operating appropriately. Mm -hmm. And then on the more day-to-day -day activity side, you know, whether you are the one quoting, what is the quoting turnaround time? Are we getting our clients and winning them? What is the reason why they're rejecting us so that we can op re revise our business model? Mm -hmm. Or if you're talking about folks that are running the production floor uh, related to machine downtime, what is the turnaround time for producing a part? If we are doing post-processing treatment, is it out the door by six within six hours, which some companies has as their KPIs? So the system has to be flexible enough so you can track and trace the data points that matter to your business. And what's been really enjoyable, and I'm sure you guys also experience, is the, the experience of working with formidable companies and people and really trying to figure out what their goals are and how can we enable them through uh, systems like ours. Yeah. So moving away from things like security, traceability, that kind of stuff, we're going to talk about the evolution of AM and how you keep up with that. So it's an ever-changing industry. How have you approached building your software architecture, workflows, and processes to rapidly adjust to new and important changes in the 3D printing industry? Um, sure. 
So our philosophy is um, modular is important. We used to think that, hey, uh, welcome to Link 3D. Buy our entire workflow software doesn't work like that. <laughs> you know, every company, uh, especially a large organization, might come with their legacy systems, SAP, Oracle, what have you. They might have their own Salesforce, like salesforce.com. Uh, they might have their own legacy MES system. So you can't uh, come in and say, hey, uh, get rid of the old, come in with the new. We need to be able to adjust and adapt. So. Uh, by making the system API friendly uh, for both on-prem or private cloud or you know secure like Link 3D cloud deployment in this case, I don't want to talk too marketing, but anyways, um, you know you need a system that's able to uh, adapt to your organization's infrastructure. Um, and what's really crucial is uh, there's a lot of champions at uh, many organizations that are trying to profoundly change the culture and really trying to figure out how can they help maximize the company's dollars and investments. And it's a challenging task because, uh, you know, um, selling software as it is is hard. But then they, if they're convinced that this is the right move, how do they actually um, get their IT department on board, procurement uh, company understanding the return on the investment when the organization is growing? And so, um, what we've seen is we need to be able to make a solution that's easy for folks to um, promote internally, that's easily acceptable and well understood. And so uh, we've developed a solution that is modular, that can plug and play with tools that Materialize uses, that can uh, plug and play with you know other types of legacy or current infrastructure systems so that companies can really uh, design uh, an additive manufacturing supply chain that works for them. Yeah. Okay. So I'm completely agree with uh, with Janet on this point about how the need that you have to um, to have a flexible and modular uh, software and to end software. So you were talking about the SAP ERP. How we need we need to as a software company we need to connect and create this API to this kind of system. But we can also mention the security. How you can adapt to the internal uh, security uh, standards and level of a company. And uh, you need to be adapt of each kind of, uh, du sorry, during all your process, you need to adapt to the process of your company. If, if not, it doesn't work. But maybe if we also take the point of view of us as an internal and a software company, builder of software company, we also need to adapt to all these uh, customer requirements. And how we do that, we need to have a really flexible approach, really agile way of working, way of developing new features and adapt features to, to the customer. So I think in this case, it's really both sides. It's adapt to your customer, to customer needs, but also internally, you need the right structure, the right infrastructure, as you say, to be able to, to answer to, to the demands. So yeah, it's for me, I can only repeat what uh, <laughs> What both Janet and Marie has been saying, so indeed it's uh, having that, that deep and close connection with your end customer in this fast changing uh, market and indeed to be able to react fast on that, you need to adapt an, uh, an agile development way so that you can have that, that flexibility in your development as well. And uh, as Janet said earlier, of course, there are different profiles of, of users out there. Uh, there are like the more that really have that manufacturing mindset. On the other hand, there are the, the, the prototyping shops. And there is a big variance in needs, but there is somewhere a common core where you can, can build on that. So it's indeed having that 
modularity in your uh, software components than the, the connectivity towards the outer world and the other um, partners in there. And that combined with agile development helps us in a way to, to work in this fast changing uh, market and this very innovative market as well. Yeah. I like to add that you know security could be the deployment process, but it could also be access, right? What are the permission controls access of your team? Do you have ITAR export controlled projects? And do you want to limit the visibility on those programs for folks that can only see that because there's liability issues? Um, how do you handle export controlled files? Do you do it offline or is there a way to do it online? Um, for let's say the medical space, there's security on patient-specific information. Is the system able to scrub the data, but also be able to have this data holistically back into one system for the, 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 the company? Or, or even you know, something as simple as new technologies enable SSO integration. You know, being able to use one single sign-on is such a simple idea. So one single sign-on to get access to a portal that you have permission on so that, let's say if, the cus uh, if, the, if your employee leaves the company, will they still be able to have access to your environment? The answer is no if you have single sign-on, but if not, there's a lot of management, handling of user access and control, and that's a lot of overhead. So I think what's really exciting is there's just so many additional tools out there that uh, companies could explore with us together mm -hmm. and then figure out what makes sense for your business so that you could really you know, cover all the grounds. So Marie, as we are um, seeing additive manufacturing make strides in production, how can software, particularly workflow management, help mass production of AM uh, organizations uh, wider? How software enable, uh, so we were talking a lot about automation, but I think in agile manufacturing, as we said, and additive manufacturing, it's a key to to have like to automate your shop floor and be able to quickly react, quickly uh, program and plan your production. So for me, we, we need and we are at the beginning, we are ongoing on this, uh, on this topic, but automation will be the key to have this complete, uh, full and integrated workflow with additive manufacturing from the, from the 3D file, from the design of the 3D file to the order of the, of the parts and to the production. So we, I think we can talk a bit about uh, additive, uh, sorry, machine learning and uh, intelligence artificial, but this kind also of technology will help us to manage and to have this complete and integrating uh, automatizer workflow. I think what's really interesting is where can you automate the parts, right? There's so many areas. Let's say a simple thing as order entry. You know, when you're submitting an order, what often happens when you don't have, you know, tools like ours is you might email it and then the application engineer reviews the file and they're like, oh no, it's not printable. But there's like amazing tools for Materialize or Polygonica where uh, we could integrate ourselves in so that when you're, when you're uh, I guess, engineer is submitting an order or customer is submitting an order, it can already have the DFAM tools to check for printability, maybe verify the meshes and heal it. Uh, do some wall thickness analysis, what have you. And these kind of mini automation tools definitely help save a lot of time on the application engineers, valuable time, so that uh, they can do their homework, fix it before they reach out again. Mm -hmm. One simple thing. Another simple thing is like, 
wow, uh, what are other uh, mundane and repetitive tasks that take place on the shop floor? How can we take these uh, repetitive actions and bring software in so that we don't have to do the same thing over and over again? So something as simple as just a, a pricing calculator that takes, takes into effect all the you know, direct costs, labor costs, overhead, utilities costs, post-processing costs, and then being able to automatically capture that information from some heuristic rules. Uh, couple that with, you know, build uh, simulation software systems that can automate, hey, you have five parts coming in from this part, six parts coming in from that part, 100 parts coming from part C. How many parts can fit in a build for 2D or 3D nesting? And then being able to really capture that information from the get-go. Mm -hmm. So items like this, and you can probably go on and on about predictive analysis. If you had machine connectivity, maybe we can start analyzing you know, minimaxes and alert systems. So what's really exciting is uh, as we grow with our customers or with you guys, uh, we will start discovering where the future might look like, what kind of tasks you're repeating, and then together work as a partner to develop tools that will help you overcome these uh, administrative items with software. Okay, yeah. so um, to further add on that, so okay, on one hand you have like your regular orders come in that you can manage with, uh, with portals, but if you go for instance more like to mass customizations, uh, we have for instance like uh, eyewear applications or insoles, then the scanning equipment or, or the input that you get, it's really like in a shop. So your applications also need to be like easy to use for the people who work in a shop environment and it needs to go swift and, and, and quickly. So and on one hand, what really helps is eh, if it's just like the portal for all your orders or then specifically for the mass customization. So the easier it is to get your order in, that's one thing. But then another component as well is what is very nice also with, with AM is the uh, decentralized production that you can set up. And to just to explain it again with an example, uh, so with decentralized production, you your data can really follow the sum. So we do have some of these mass customizations as well, but then we have offices globally. So in a way, some uh, of the data is being prepared and maybe in our office in, 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 in Kiev, it's being planned in, uh, in Belgium or Colombia and etc. depending on what time zone we are. Uh, and then depending on the end user, it's being produced in the US, in Belgium, in, in Japan. So your system needs to, well, if your system can take care of the traceability, it doesn't really matter like where the job is being done because it all connects with that same system. And, and that's the beauty of having these overall systems that you can work on a global scale, decentralized, really optimize having it like uh, following the sun system. And that really will help in also boosting this, this technology and bring that technology further forward. Mm -hmm. And I think to add to that, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of organizations, you start small. You might do prototyping first, and then you start getting clients that are like, hey, can you do this low volume production? Hey, can you start doing serious production? And companies evolve, right? So having a system that can grow with you or be configurable so that whenever you, you start changing, it changes with you, that's great. But then what if you have, uh, you decide to expand to a different country? 
uh, more facilities, having a system that can easily just add another uh, environment so that you can share capacity or understand the operations or even outsource to your suppliers and have that flow as you grow your added manufacturing supply chain becomes crucial. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, you, you can use a general SAP system to do this, but it might not be enough if you want to really take advantage of tools that will help you scale. So that's pretty exciting to see. Yeah, yeah maybe to give an example, we, we had this uh, use case with our customer. So currently, they, in their average, they use eight software to manage their production. So from the beginning until the, the printing part. So they use, as you mentioned, Excel, but they use some other tools to, well, to be able to, at the end, add the parts. So really complicated. So the idea also is to focus all these steps in one software, which is easy to, to use, easy to process, and, uh, and you can get the parts in time, and uh, even if it's uh, decentralized or internally. So the idea is to have one tool to manage a global and uh, external or, or internal uh, workflows. I'm going to throw this next one to Janet first. So we're seeing emerging technologies, things like blockchain, been introduced to additive manufacturing. Do we need to be thinking about things like that now? Is, is the industry at a mature enough point to warrant technologies like that? Well, I mean, like, shout out, shout out to uh, Moog last night for winning the digital supply chain with blockchain. Mm -hmm. I think there's interesting applications here. I mean, I spoke about blockchain here last year. But after speaking about it and talking to a lot of organizations, I think it's a little bit far in the future right now. Mm -hmm. We're a bit early. But it's good to start thinking about the concepts and looking at uh, how organizations might be looking at a blockchain uh, strategy. Because as organizations grow, you want to make sure that you know, all the data is not tamperable. But you can also do that with normal software, too. Um, or for example, when you're working with suppliers, that whatever you say is whatever they do happens, then there is that level of trust that blockchain provides. But I do think that there are other solutions out there that are able to help solve this um, through partnerships like, um, I think, Identify3D is trying to work on this, Grow and uh, Leo Lane, as an example, are trying to solve some of these challenges. So we don't know. We'll see like in a couple of years what the market really wants. It seems like the aerospace industry is really interested in this first. Mm -hmm. So we're looking forward to uh, learning from our customers and figuring out what's the plan. Anyone else? Well, maybe to add something. Yeah, blockchain, I think, is an amazing technology. If right now it's really the technology, maybe the market is not as mature as to implement this kind of technology, but for sure it's a technology that uh, we will use maybe in the future, mm -hmm. near future. Yeah. yeah, I agree on that. So we are, we are keeping tabs on that and following it, but it's indeed a bit at that moment, like, is it now what on the maturity and et cetera? And then it's typically something like if your customers start pushing for it, it will become more a reality of today. But it's still, at this moment, it's OK. But yeah, you keep your eye on the new technologies, and you keep your taps on it so that you are aware and know what to do with it and how to deal with it when time comes. But there it's still a bit, as, as, as Janet uh, mentioned, it's like, OK, when is the moment? There are still other ways there as well. Um, so it's not like keeping an eye open for it for the future and, and see when it will be really a necessity or, or not. So it's having that, that balance, like when to invest in it or not. Yeah. I think what's the more interesting topic now is uh, 
how do you do serial part tracking at scale? Especially when you have so many different types of machines and so many different processes and so many ways to put a barcode or maybe a bar, like a, or a QR code, or maybe that's not the right approach because all these technologies execute differently, so it's not always possible. So I think that's an interesting area of focus, and um, hopefully in the next couple of months that could be solved, uh, because I think that's one of the bigger blockers for enabling that uh, scalable uh, production system for series production. So Marie, how have you been integrating automation or machine learning in your respective platforms? And where do you currently see the most value add for this integration? What are your thoughts on where this could be pursued next? So machine learning, it can be implemented in different uh, type of your workflows. First, the, maybe it's a pricing. I can give you an example, the, the pricing logic the idea of how we can optimize the pricing and uh, when, when the customer makes the order, we have the right pricing, taking into account the machine availability, taking, account, uh, sorry, taking into account uh, how many parts will be produced this day, if we will uh, have a full build chamber or if we will maybe produce just one single part. So there are so many criteria that you can take into account to make a, a real pricing. It's not the same if you have uh, your uh, build chamber completely full or if you just print one part. So it's not at all the same cost and the same matching. So we, we have a lot of different parameters and how we can optimize the pricing with machine learning, I think. So this is one topic. And the other one is a lot about the production management. How you can uh, like uh, smartly uh, produce your part or organize a job. So here, the machine learning can help also a lot to manage efficiently the production and to be sure to produce the right part at the right moment at the right cost for the company. And I think to add to that, it's uh, you know auto pricing is a huge like challenge for a lot of companies. They got pricing, but what is the actual cost, right? So with our systems like this, now we can start seeing, oh, how many times do you actually fail your build, and how much margin do you want to pack in there, or is this customer a good customer or a nasty customer? Do we want to like have machine learning algorithms to like readjust the margin or the discounts that we want to offer them? Like, there's a lot of funky things we can do to enable a competitive edge. But um, on the more serious note, um, on the production scheduling side, what's really interesting that we've seen in other industries, so we're a little bit behind in additive, is you know job placements. Um, is your company running 24-7 or is it uh, finite scheduling, right? How many people are on the shop floor and when you need to be able to schedule jobs so they can actually do it? You can have the perfect Gantt chart, but if it's not realistic, you can't action on it, right? But then what happens if you're like, you're an aerospace company and, you know, parts get, uh, your part basically fails 72, 72 hours in, as an example. How does that affect your entire production line? We know that there are some companies out there that spend four hours a day trying to figure out how do I replace all my job schedules, not only on the production side, but post-processing, finishing, quality control steps across my internal facilities, but also my external partners, because now that I've screwed up my print, well, does my supplier, are they able to fulfill it? So there's a lot of things that uh, need to be taken account, and machine learning can definitely help with that. What do you think? Yeah, uh, yeah I agree. We, uh, we, we use machine learning on, uh, on different fields. Uh, yeah. 
what most people think of with machine learning is image diagnostics that we do as well on the uh, quality of powder beds and etc. Uh, but we start using it more and more on, uh, on 3D geometry as well. Um, on one hand, it's indeed like a build-time estimation with, will which have an influence on your, on your cost and on the price then. Um, but also like what is the ideal orientation of a part? So can you learn from your past experiences on how you always orientate that kind of, of geometries and can you learn for that to come up with the uh, ideal prediction so that you don't have to think your, yourself about it anymore but that we can go to an automated orientation for instance. Um, so it's, it's things in there like where can we automate or make the processes better that we're looking into that. Uh, but actually also on, uh, on, the, human, uh, on the human behavior. Um, to come back on that medical example, so the surgeons have, um, have a tool where they can uh, see the proposed plan and, and they can uh, further optimize that. So we, we are doing their um, machine learning because People always do have a bit their, their flavor on how they do something. And if you can learn that, then you can already take actions on that and, and be skipping the two, three steps that that user is always taking. If you see that's like a mechanism, you can start automating that and, and already do that for him so that for him in the end, the order is like one push on the button and it's like, yeah, okay, it's good, done. Because in the end, that's what you want to achieve with this machine learning, it's the, the, the prediction and to have things run more smooth and correct from the first time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, and maybe just to, if we consider like the identification of the parts that are suitable for AM, here also you have a lot about machine learning because can you, if we imagine that tomorrow we can screen like 8,000 parts per part that you have in your, in your stock and the, the algorithm or the system can tell you, okay, maybe it, this 21st part will be printable with this technology, with this time, and you can at the end like have a total digital inventory. So I think machine learning algorithm will help also in this sense from the beginning, so identify the right part until, uh, until the end. Yeah, that's yeah. what we see today as well. Like people, they have made their design and they want to know like with which technology and at what cost is now best so what they are wanting now are, are the requests that we see in the market is like, okay, I have this design, so and, and now propose me like what would be my my best offer, both in terms of, of quality and, and, and price. And that's something that could come from machine uh, learning and where you have then again assisted guidance to your end user. Mm -hmm. Okay, just one more question now before we open it, see if anybody else has any questions from the audience. So finally, what might be any lessons learned and perhaps messages that you can give to any other industry segments to facilitate logistics and the expansion of the software pipeline? Uh, sounds like a sales pitch right now. <laughs> um, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, in any business, digital manufacturing is helpful. Uh, but I do think that depending on where you are, start small. Uh, start using tools that might help you save some time, like an order form or a Trello board to manage that so that you can validate internally whether or not this is helpful. But as you grow and scale, I invite everyone to talk to us 
and to figure out, you know, what is your additive manufacturing roadmap? What is your strategy? And making sure that there is a solution out there so that when you are scaling, um, you're ready to go and that there is a partner there ready to support you. Yeah, <laughs> so yes, yes, I'm, uh, I'm aware with that. Like first to go to additive manufacturing, you have to identify why you want to, to do additive manufacturing. It's for cost reason, it's for quality reason, for complexity design, but you don't go to additive manufacturing. It's a really amazing technology, we all agree on that. But you need to define your goal and why you want to go on this technology. So this is the first topic. And after, like I think the next challenge, and it will be to standardize a bit this, uh, this technology, additive manufacturing, but it's about software, it's about quality, it's about security. I think it's, it's a really huge topic, but if you want to make this technology growing inside uh, the enterprise, we need to have this standard, and we need to, to like involve more and more people, so we need to, it's a lot of about education, about training, about, so there are so many things to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, lots of things. Yeah. So it's indeed uh, going uh, with, with additive, it's like going on a journey. There are a lot of things to, uh, to learn and, and, and to explore. And it's, as Marie said, it's, uh, you just don't use additive because of the fun of it, but because there is added value to it, that, that technology. Uh, we see in aerospace, it's on the, the lightweight parts and that, that on the long term, you save a lot on kerosene and etc. So it's indeed like making sure you have the right applications, is it being a prototyping service bureau and et cetera. And then yeah, adjust the tools or getting the tools that help you in, in growing up and, 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 and scaling and et cetera. And there everything depends on, on size and the regulations that you have to fulfill and et cetera. That there are tools out there in the market that can assist you with it, companies that can like materialize Link 333 or Mind, mm -hmm. that can assist you in that, that journey from their expertise. And uh, yeah, but it's, yeah, you don't need immediately always the full blown package. Look around, compare, and, uh, and make your decision. Yeah. Great, well, thank you. Let's give our speakers a, a big round of applause.